morning. For those who are new or visiting online or in person, my name is Jody. I'm uh, one of the elders here at the church. Tracy's on a vacation. He's enjoying the summer. Hopefully, this place is a little more dry than this, not just the humidity, but the lack of rain. Um, so I'm feeling it this week. If you don't like what you hear today, come back next week as somebody else. So I'm not a professional. Why are you, are you looking for living amongst the dead? Have you ever lost something? You know where you'll put it. You go to get it, car keys. You put the car keys on the same hook or on the same banister or on the desk. They're always in the same place. You know where they are. You know where you left them. You'll go back. They're not there. It usually happens when you're in a hurry. You're running behind. You're frantic. Where are my keys? Actually, they're right where you left them. The women were looking for where Jesus was buried. They knew exactly where he was buried. In fact, Peter went to the same location looking for Jesus. But unlike the apostles, they, they were with Joseph and Arathea at the tomb when Jesus was buried and he was sealed in the tomb. When they got to the tomb, the stone had been rolled away, and the tomb was empty. But there were two men in dazzling apparel and asked them what seemed like a ridiculous question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? This question had to be confusing to the women because Jesus was dead. They saw him hang on the cross. They saw his hands and feet pierced. They saw his heart pierced. They saw his blood pour out. They were involved in wrapping his body in Linen and spice is about 75 pounds. He was dead. But Jesus wasn't dead anymore. He was alive. We who were not there but have hindsight, look back through history, we can see, yes, he died, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven. We can see that. But imagine the confusion at the moment. Where is Jesus? But the question was asked to them, and actually, the question is very appropriate to us today. Why, do, why are we looking for the living among the dead? In the beginning of creation, man has looked for the living among the dead. Satan tempted Eve by saying, But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was, a delightful, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. <clears throat> the irony here is that since Adam ate the fruit in order to be like God, mankind has been less like God ever since. While looking for a greater quality of life, Adam actually brought about death for all of mankind. If you read later on in Exodus, just a few, few weeks after crossing through, the, through dry land where the Dead Sea once was, just a few minutes earlier, the whole nation of Israel crossed the Dead Sea, and then it came back and swallowed up the whole Egyptian army. A few weeks later, in Exodus 16, 1 through 3, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, 
after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread all the day long. For you brought it, for you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Really? I've read the book of Exodus. There's no meat pots, and they didn't, weren't full of bread. I, I remember the stories of making bricks without straw. This is 10 weeks after seeing the Red Sea parted. Put that in perspective. 10 weeks ago was Mother's Day. That's the span between seeing one of the greatest miracles these, these people could ever imagine and grumble against God. Later on, Israel was ruled by God. They were set apart by God. They're in the promised land at this point. The nation has seen mighty worse of God. Unfortunately, at this point, there's no one alive who ate the manna from heaven or who walked around Jericho with the trumpets leading the charge. But they have heard from their parents and grandparents of the mighty deeds. But like most children, they want to be like everybody else. In 1 Samuel 8, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that you, they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. We want to be like everybody else. I used to read these stories and think to myself, idiots. I, I wouldn't do anything like that. I would remember. But in reality, I'm just as much of an idiot. I've seen God do mighty things in my life. I've seen God do mighty things in your life. But I forget. I'm distracted. I, I have spiritual ADHD. Today, we're not like the... Much, we're not much different from the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. We're not content with what God has provided and promised. We're looking for immediate comfort and convenience. We want everything right now. Therefore, we look outside of God's provision for our security and comfort. We want instant gratification. That is how we'll know that God loves us and provides for us. We don't remember what God has revealed through the scriptures. We don't trust what has been taught to us by the great cloud of witnesses that the writer of Hebrews refers to. We think that if only the correct political party gets into office, the world will be a better place. Well, if not the whole world, at least a good old U.S. of A. But I've been voting since 1980. And since then, we've had six Republican presidents and five Democrat presidents. And this country not once has gotten any more righteous, regardless of who the president was. We live in a fallen world, and there's no secular government or political system that offers life. What they will do, they will distract you and draw you away from the one who does and can offer life. If it's not politics that you think offers your life, maybe it's your own success. We're rugged individuals. Who can rely upon, our own, our, on our, upon ourselves if we only go to the right college, get the right career, marry the right person, live in the right town, get into the right school systems, go to the right church, then we will enjoy a fulfilling life. Not so. There is nothing that this world offers that you offers you that will bring you peace and offer you real lasting life. 
there's nothing wrong with making a good living, getting a good education, or living in a nice neighborhood. The issue comes when that is your goal. Our identity cannot be found in what we do or what we possess. From the moment that Adam sinned, all creation has been under a curse. For some, even many in the church, they don't realize this. As I said a couple months ago, last time I preached, in both Genesis and Romans, Scripture talks about the world, the cosmos, all of creation being under a curse because of Adam's sin. This is foundational to the problems in the world. When you realize that we live in a dying, corrupted creation and acknowledge that this world will never make any sense, then and only then can you look for true happiness and for, for, for true life. Jesus said in John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus himself is life. No matter where we look outside of Jesus, we can never find life. No matter where we look, whether it's amongst friends or relatives or success, life is not offered. The word life appears almost 40 times in the Gospel of John. Jesus describes himself as life 25 times. From life, the bread of life, offering eternal life, being eternal life. He promises eternal life. Peter responds after Jesus, some of Jesus' difficult teaching, and Jesus turns to Peter and says, why don't you go too? Because many of his followers left. And Peter said, where shall we go? You alone have words of eternal life. Today as Christians, it should be easier, easier for us to find life. After all, don't we have the Holy Spirit? Doesn't he protect us? Well, ultimately, yes. But we are still on this planet of death. Peter warned in his first letter, in, uh, chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan is prowling around you, looking for ways to distract and destroy you. He's crafty. Satan doesn't come out and say, follow me and I'll destroy you. I wish, he, I wish he'd be that honest. Then I could resist him. But he's so subtle, he mixes a little bit of truth in with each lie. Or a little bit of a lie in with the truth. When C.S. Lewis wrote his screw tape letters, people are outraged that with the war going on in Europe, with what Hitler was doing, that C.S. Lewis was worried about the little sins. But that's where we begin to go astray. See how we make... So how do we make sure that we aren't looking for the living among the dead? Just listen to what John writes in his first letter. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. How do we test the spirits? Well, first of all, you need a plumb line, a filter. You need a standard to test everything against. You must test everything against the claims of Scripture. I'm, and I've learned recently, and I, I think this is true, that, that we need to adhere to cling not just to what the Scriptures say, which are, are true, but how to understand the, the Scriptures. We need to go back and see what the early church fathers taught. Uh, Augustine, Polycarp, Tertullian, Erasmus. That is the understanding that the early apostles, some of these, some of these men actually studied with John, 
But over the last 2,000 years, there's been a lot of corruption in the church. 500 years ago, Luther did not want to break away from the church. He wanted to bring light back into the church. It was nothing new. He was clinging to what Augustine and Polycarp were teaching 1,500 years before that. Today, there's a lot of teachers out there who don't teach historic Christianity. A lot of what they say is really good. God wants you to be happy and healthy. How do you respond to that? No, he doesn't. But there are other things that many of the false teachers teach. Some deny the Trinity. Some deny hell. Some claim that Jesus left his divinity in heaven and came to earth purely as a man. They teach that he was simply a man and had access to the Holy Spirit the same way we do, and we can do exactly what Jesus did. None of these false teachings and heresies are new. They were all dealt with in the first few centuries of the church. Some teach that Jesus opened the door to heaven. He began on the cross, but we have to add to his righteousness to gain access to heaven. On the other extreme, others say, I got my ticket to the sin buffet. I said my sinner's prayer. I'm saved. It doesn't matter how I live. Martin Luther, when he held the, the phrase sola scriptura, his concern was pretty soon anyone that could take his Bible and create his own doctrine by cutting and pasting verses. Most Christians today do not understand the teaching of sola scriptura as taught by the early reformers. I really didn't until a few years, about two years ago, Pastor Tracy gave me a great book called The Shape of Sola Scriptura. Really eye-opening. This book opened my eyes, and, and I can understand what the Reformers' cry was against. The premise of the book is that we need the Scriptures in context of how the early church fathers taught. There's nothing new in what Luther and the Reformers taught. They were trying to clean up the current church and get back to its early moorings. There are many Christians today that do not know or never heard of things like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. When they hear it, they get hung up on the phrase, we believe in one holy Catholic church. <gasps> you believe in the Catholic church? People, the word Catholic means universal. Actually, originally it meant orthodox. I saw a guy on, on the internet complaining about some well-known pastor believes in the Catholic church. It's right there on his website. I knew this guy, I had a lot of respect for him. Went to his website, there's the Nicene Creed. This pastor, the self-proclaimed teacher, doesn't know the Nicene Creed, which came about in the 4th century. He, he's a self-taught pastor. He's bragging on his website, how he, he taught himself. Wonderful. I've taught myself lots of things. That's why I have Bob and Andy come over and help me fix the, the problems in my house that I taught myself. R.C. Sproul's ministry, Ligonar Ministries, did a poll about a year ago and found that 30%, 30% of self-professing evangelicals agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 30% of self-identifying evangelicals. 42% of evangelicals believe that God accepts the worship of all people, whether they're Christian or not. 17% of evangelicals believe that science has disproven the Bible. Which is actually down from 25%, so maybe that's a step in the right direction. 46% of evangelicals say that everyone sins a little bit, but most people are good by nature. 
and only 84% believe that man is saved by grace and faith alone. That's down from 91% two years earlier. These are evangelicals who, who are, we understand to be orthodox, conservative Christians. Not politically, I'm not talking politics, but theologically conservative, but these numbers are astounding. George Barna is a sociologist who studies religious belief, mostly here in America. He's found that only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. That's down from 12% in 1995. Again, biblical worldview, that's the way they understand the Bible. Not really what the, what the scriptures teach. The most common religious view is what Barna calls synchronicity. That this means that people take a little bit of this viewpoint, a little bit of that, a little Hinduism, a little Christianity, a little agnosticism, throwing a touch of naturalism, and voila, I've got my own religion, my own worldview. And in many cases, their mixture views contradict each other. How many times have you heard a Christian say they believe in grace and karma? I thank God that karma doesn't exist. Because I'd be in for a long, 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 long punishment. Many Christians use the use the world to filter their understanding of the scriptures. We know the scriptures are the inerrant word of God. They need to be our filter. Too often, people take the world's views, take scripture, and use the world to filter what scripture says. What, is, what does our culture say? What, where does the Bible fit through it? And that's the part of the Bible I believe. Where we need to use the scriptures as the filter. What is the world offering? If it doesn't pass through the scriptural view, then that is not something that we need to, that we should adhere to. Another way to look in the right place is to control our thoughts. Easier said than done. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 5. For though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God to take every thought captive to, to obey Christ. We are, we are to control our thoughts, to keep from allowing the words of this world to dictate what we believe and the solutions that we seek. For our enemy is not of this world. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Darkness, the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. The, the world of the death is who we are we, we fight against. It's not men and women. It's not political parties. It's not races. It's not national borders. It's a spiritual battle. As Christians, we are blessed with the gift of the Holy Spirit because, because of this, we're capable and should be of testing spirits around us. Just as Jesus wept over Jerusalem, we should do the same for Springfield, for Massachusetts, and all the U.S. and the world. Those do not, who do not know Christ are so busy looking for the meaning of life, but they refuse to look the author of life. They'll look, they'll look for life in the vilest of places if they think there's something of value there. It reminds me of an event in my house a few years ago, about 10 years ago. 
my wife and I have seven children. And I thought it would be a great Mother's Day gift one year is to get her mother's ring. What a mother's ring is, it's, it's a ring with a, a birthstone for each of the kids. I mentioned to my son, Tim, explain what it was. He said, shouldn't it be a belt instead? Well, my wife does not wear jewelry. She wears a wedding ring and an engagement ring. That's about it. We got her the, the mother's ring, and she had some event she was going to. I can't remember exactly what it was, but she pulled the, the mother's ring out. She said it's too big. Well, yeah. Um, end of the day, she, the ring was gone. So she hadn't left the house. It's something, it happened in the house. So she went back to where she keeps the ring. She looked in the bathroom, looked in the kitchen. I took the, the kitchen garbage bag. And I got to dig through the coffee grounds and the eggshells and the chicken bones. And I went and I dumped it on the back and all the dirty tissues, the dirty napkins, looking for something of value. It wasn't there. But I thought there's something of value in there. I'm digging. It's, it's important to me. That's what the world does. We think we'll find something here. We don't care how vile and disgusting and but we, we, we think that we can find something, a treasure there. Oh, by the way, we found the ring about two years later. At Christmas time, my, my kids were pulling stuff out to wrap presents with. And they're ding, 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 ding. Well, she was pulling out some wrapping paper that day. The ring fell off in the bag of all the wrapping paper. So, yes, the ring has been found. She still rarely wears it. In Romans, Paul writes, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So, brothers and sisters, please be mindful that we live in a dead, fallen world where the heart of man is evil and corrupt. The ideas of man do not bring life, but they will draw us away from the, our first love of Jesus Christ. Remember the words of the Westminster Confession? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. The evil one is seeking to distract and confuse us. We will be attacked either obviously or even worse, subtly. But be encouraged. Hear the words of John the Beloved in 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you have breathed life into us. As you have breathed life into Adam, and breathe life back into us with the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you alone offer words of eternal life. We thank you that you have 
revealed yourself to us, and we ask you to encourage us to seek you closer so we can enjoy a life that is abundant, eternal with you. Help us to keep from being distracted by the, the wiles of this world and glorify you and enjoy you forever. Amen.